0: Yay, chemistry. Making world wars happen. That's not good. That that should not be the 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 slogan.
1: Chemistry (laughs) making world wars happen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) One more time. going mad, my liver's gonna fail. Maybe it's from the radium I use to paint my nails. Well, say you hate me, carbon-date me, throw me in the sea. I'll be back with time because I'm made of Stardust and Chemistry. A Stardust and Chemistry! Uh, welcome back to Cowboy Chemistry. My name is Dylan Gardner. My pronouns are they, them. Uh, I'm a chemistry PhD candidate at Texas Tech. And my guest today, as for part one, was is uh, Val Berba. Uh, she's a local comedian, a cosmetologist. And today we are getting more into the specific chemistry and history of hair dye. Of course, hair dyeing is an ancient art. Um, and has been done for as long as people have been people. And maybe even before that. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> We we're having a really cool conversation about green hair dye that I feel mm-hmm. like our 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 listeners need to hear about how green hair dye is rare. Want to share?
1: It's. Like, with, pro- with developer, right? Like, mm-hmm. regular, like, permanent color, or semi-permanent color, it's hard to find, like, a true green. Like, you can find it in direct dyes. I don't know why that's, like, different or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, very, very hard. So, like, if you have red hair, like, neutralizing red hair, you need a green. But most of the time, it's, like, a ash, like, a blue base kind of thing mm-hmm. like a, for darker levels. But it's just, it just doesn't really, it's hard to find it.
0: Hmm. Um... And so what's what is the difference between direct eye? and the oxidized color you're saying
1: direct dye you can just like put it over the hair so it's kind of like a piece of paper so if I have a white piece of paper like the Mm -hmm. molecules are larger so if I have a white piece of paper and I put direct dye on or okay so white piece of paper if I put a color on a white piece of paper I can see it like a pink for instance right Mm -hmm. if I have a black piece of paper I put pink over it I may not be able to see it as well and same thing for hair color so like the molecules just sit underneath the cuticle and they don't go all the way into the cortex So, they they just can't absorb. So, like, the Mm -hmm. developer pushes it in. So, direct dye is just, like, the Manic Panic or, like, um, I don't even know, like, other brands. Like, Pulp Riot, stuff like that. Like, that's going to be your direct dye. They don't don't work with developer at all. It's just, like, a stain. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, Are those still considered permanent or are they... They're semi. semi Semi-permanent. Yeah. Okay. Because
1: they wash out after... It depends on the color, honestly, how light or dark it is. But, like... Probably anywhere from 3 to 12 washes. hmm So.
0: Okay. Got you. So there's only green direct dye. Yeah. Basically green stains, but there's no green.
1: Color, color. Color, yeah. color. Yeah.
0: See, that's interesting. I, yeah. yeah. I don't
1: know why that is, but. Yeah. Something. It's not allowed in the U.S. or something.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I know that, like, green green tattoo ink is also illegal in a lot of places, uh, especially in Europe. I think it's still legal in the U.S., um, but it is illegal in Europe. Um, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah. But yeah, and so before our days of developer and all these other things, people were using again mostly plants. Indigo was used to dye hair. Uh, henna was used to dye hair, which I know people still use henna. Yes. And it's been a trend recently.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: I heard that like it stains your hair. It's one of those stains, and like you can't, you need to tell people.
1: Hair hairdressers hate henna. Uh, it just it just lifts if you're trying to like lift the hair, it lifts out really odd. And mm. it just doesn't and then some some people are like, oh, if you put color over it it melts. That's not necessarily true. It doesn't. It's just it's just harder to remove. That's that's been my experience with working with pinna hair.
0: Like it melts the they're saying it melts they the say, hair. They're like
1: terrified of it. It it doesn't melt the hair. I've never seen that happen. Like I have a lot of like women that are Indian that dye their hair, you know, and um, they'll come in and we'll try to lift it out. It's just harder to lift that hair out with like bleach, mm-hmm. and but you can go over it with dark hair. I've never had a problem with that at all. So I don't okay. know. it's kind. Of, I feel like that's kind of like old school, you know, like mm-hmm. the color was different back then or whatever.
0: Were they like trying? You think they were probably putting like too much? Because I know it's mostly peroxide that you use to bleach. You think they're I just think like trying box to peroxide? I think dye just it. used
1: to have a lot more t- metallic than it does nowadays. Mm. And so I think that that had something to do with it, but I'm not quite sure. But um, my experience is it's just just a major stain, Mm. and so it's, like, usually a red or, like, an orange color, Mm -hmm. and, like, that's just really hard to remove. But, like, coloring over, making it darker, I I haven't had a problem with it.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I've just heard hairdressers be like, Hannah! Yeah, it's just hard to
1: remove, for sure. It's a major stain, but...
0: But yeah, and some of the other plants that were used, uh, Senna, which is a legume plant, Alma, which is an Indian gooseberry, Uh, you can use turmeric to dye your hair, black walnut shells, red okra, and it just says leeks. (laughs) And I have questions about the leeks. Like, are you talking like the leek you eat? Or the flower of the leek? What part of the leek? No idea. (laughs) I could not find any more specific details. Um... One of the earliest recordings we have about people bleaching their hair is from a Greek philosopher, uh, Diodorus Siculus. Uh, you like, or... by the
1: name of Sun in <laughs>
0: <laughs> Or uh, Diodorus of Sicily is also what he's called. So, um, But he wrote about ancient uh, Celtic people and their hair bleaching practices. And his way of describing them is... Interesting. (laughs) I thought it was
1: like yellow as hell or orange as hell. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it was very yellow. But um, this is how he says it. Their aspect is terrifying. They are very tall in stature with rippling muscles under clear white skin. Their hair. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Right?
1: I was like, all right. So no pigment in their skin and no pigment in their hair. Got it.
0: Um, Their hair is blonde, but not naturally so. They bleach it to this day, artificially washing it in lime and combing it back from their foreheads. Uh, They look like wood demons. Their hair thick and shaggy like a horse's mane. Uh, Some of them are clean-shaven, but others, especially those of high rank, shave their cheeks but leave a mustache that covers their whole mouth. Oh, that
1: is... A Tinder profile, if I ever heard one. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> I was like, "All right, you you really like how they look." Huh?
1: <laughs> like a mustache that covers their whole mouth. That's a lot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the rippling muscles part. Got yeah, there. I was like,
1: "All right, this is all right." And then it was like translucent skin. I was like, "No, thank you."
0: <laughs> yeah. I also found a great book. Uh, the book was published in 1661. It was called 18 Books of the Secrets of Art and Nature by Johann Jacob Wecker, um, or Wecker. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's probably Johann Jacob Wecker, because he's probably German. Um, he outlines how to dye your hair black, gold, green, red, and yellow, and... Um, and white from various plants and chemical treatments. That was not that interesting, but I did in the same book, in the same section, it's all has all kinds of like beauty treatments. So mm. I was gonna share some of those that yeah. were way funnier. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> um so it had such great knowledge. The first one I found was How to Make Men Fat.
1: <laughs> yeah, let me know. Uh
0: he's this is this is what he said. If you mingle with if you mingle with the fat of a lizard, saltpeter, and cumin, wheat meal, hens fatted with this meat will be so fat that men that eat of them will eat them until they burst.
1: <laughs> All right. <laughs> they're just going
0: to
1: not stop eating them.
0: Yes. You're, they're just going to keep eating it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, they had a how to change your, the color of your eyes. Oh. If you would change the color of children's eyes, uh, you shall do it thus. With, with the ashes of the small nut shells, uh, with oil, you must anoint the fore part of their head. Uh, it will make the whites of the children's eyes black. Uh, do it often. <laughs> I like that part. Do it often. As
1: much as you can.
0: And then he goes on to say, there are many experiments to make the make white and gray eyes black, uh, and of diverse colors, uh, but I let them pass because those that have the need of their eyes <laughs> will not so easily try them, nor do they all perform what they promise. <laughs> What's so he, the need of the eye? What is he talking he's about? He's saying, like, if you need to see. Oh. Oh, my! I think everyone, right? Like, <laughs> right? Like, you probably want to see. At least you yeah, want to you want to. to I see. mean, maybe you don't
1: need to, but, like, you want to, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. So he's basically saying, like, those who want to be able to see, you probably shouldn't try these other, any of these remedies. Ah. <laughs> he's like, your eyes will be black, but also you'll be blind. All right. Um, also, my question is, why would you want the whites of your eyes to be black? When was that a fashion trend?
1: <laughs> no idea. and this this party's Goth, maybe.
0: That's fair. That is fair. Um, Goth people would probably be really about it. They're
1: like, I'll go blind.
0: <laughs> the next part is t- for remo- hair removal, and I got two recipes for hair removal, and they are both beautiful. <laughs> The first one is um, that hairs may fall from any part and may grow no more. You take a cat's dung, dried and powdered, Ew. mingled with strong vinegar. To a pap will do it. With this, you must rub the hairy place often in a day, uh, and in a short time it will grow bald and without hair. And this is it. Signs off like where he got this from. And it's signed off an experiment of a country man. I mean, that
1: that kind of sounds like nair. Nair smells terrible, so like yeah,
0: you know. I mean, it's basically a nair recipe, but I just wanted to know what mountain man was taking cat poop and why, <laughs> and why just rubbing to... it all on his legs or whatever. Ew. <laughs> um, the second one oh is my favorite. So this one is is uh, attributed to I think the guy he's trying. So it was signed off just Mizald, and I think who he's referring to is Antoine Misald, who was a French physician. So this guy was like a doctor of the time, which of course doctors were not real doctors. Right. Because this was 1500 <laughs> um, that that Mizald was alive. His recipe is the piss of mice or rats Ew. will make a hairy part bald, but it is restored and cured with the blood of moles or the skin of them rubbed upon it. Okay. <laughs> all right. Is this why people don't go to the doctor in, in this time period for uh, sure? Yeah.
1: They're going to be like, get them all, you
0: know. <laughs> then they're, you they're gotta gotta be what like- you want to do
1: is get a couple cat herbs <laughs> powder them, add vinegar.
0: <laughs> No, see that one was just a country guy though. That was yeah. just that was just a guy. A country random remedy. guy. He was not claiming this was his experiment and he's like, "You know what? It works though." <laughs> but yeah. So, after that diversion, we can get back to Die, but I just thought that was really funny. I could not pass up the the rat piss part cuz like it's also like this is word for word what is said in that book. <laughs> it said rat piss. <laughs> But yeah, so now we're going to intersect with the last episode um, with the development of synthetic dyes. So it happened in the same time period, 1860s, the same time synthetic clothing dyeing was becoming popular, so was synthetic hair dyes. Um, the first synthetic hair dye was a reaction um, with what's called diamine with air. So I actually have this chemical in my lab and I actually work with it a lot. So I was like, "Ooh, paraphenylenediamine. Uh, It is really toxic. (laughs) (laughs) Super toxic. Uh, But yeah, so for hair dye, though, it would dye your hair black. Um, If you were to drink it, um, or, you know, like, it it also absorbs through the skin. So, like, you know, if you're repeatedly using it, um, fatal symptoms include rhabdomyolysis. That's where your body starts eating your own muscles. Uh Uh, Renal failure, uh, angioneurotic edema. So that's kind of like an it's kind of like an allergic reaction where you start swelling and then a respiratory failure from the swelling. Cause it's kind of, you're a lot of people are really allergic to paraphernaline diamine. Uh, and the, the awful part is um, in East Africa, the Indian subcontinent and middle Eastern countries, it's still used as hair dye today. Oh my God. Yeah. And so I found like reports of poisonings of adults and children, like children drink it and like, they pass away usually, unfortunately. Oh, God. Why are they drinking it? Well, I mean, it's just it's like, like a, a kid, kid f- you know, you, whatever. L- you know, a toddler yeah. finds a bottle, they put it in their yeah, mouth, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, an accident. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did find one unfortunate uh, report of uh, a woman who drank it on purpose, mm. trying, but I think she did live, but yeah. Well,
1: she's like, dang it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> Bad <laughs> joke. You can cut that. <laughs> sh-
0: she was getting treatment, so hopefully she got some mental health treatment. <laughs> But uh, now with the first, now the first safe, and I put safe in quotes here because this is L'Oreal saying it's safe, uh, and I cannot find what the ingredients are for this first recipe for hair dye. So it
1: probably wasn't safe.
0: It was probably safer than paraffinolediamine, to to be fair. Okay. Um, Because it was either paraffinolediamine or a lot of other companies used lead. (laughs) Okay. It was probably safer than that at least, but yeah. Um, but he, the person who synthesized it was Eugene Schuller. Yeah, this is all coming from the L'Oreal website. He founded um, the company that was called uh, the French Company of Inoffensive Hair Dyes in 1909, uh, and that company eventually becomes L'Oreal. So he doesn't like found it with the name L'Oreal, but he founds the company that becomes L'Oreal. So to rewind in his life a bit before he discovers the dye, he was born to two Parisian pastry shop owners. So his parents were pastry chefs. He was born on March 20th of 1881. He went to school and eventually college uh, at the Institute of Applied Chemistry. Uh, And he was such a humble man. He said, I succeeded brilliantly and finished first in my class. He was apparently really a bragger. He graduated in 1904 and began working as a lab assistant at Sorbonne. Uh, sorbonne university which is the university of paris which i looked it up it was like founded in like 1200 it's like a really old university there he would meet uh, a barbershop owner i could not find this barbershop owner's name anywhere they were just like yeah some barbershop owner hired him to like make him hair dye okay (laughs) and i was like who who was this guy (laughs) um but they're like it doesn't matter but yeah, so because a lot of dyes were made of paraphernaline diamine or lead, um, French women did not want it. <laughs> they were like, there is no reason. I do not want to dye just to have a different color of hair. Thank you. Right, yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah. So Schuler, we're still recording, right? Yeah. Okay. But yeah, Schuler agreed to work for that barber, um, but he hated having a boss. <laughs> he was like, he's just too arrogant. <laughs> he didn't want to work for somebody else. So he soon quit, quit um rented a space to experiment with hair dye on his own. Uh, He tested the hair dye on himself a lot, which is not wise, but he did. By 1909, he had founded his own company, like I said, um, but he soon got involved in some other activities, uh, specifically economics and politics. Okay, okay. Because, of course. Uh, In the Smithsonian article I found, it said... Quote, in his early days, he dabbled in socialist ideology. I don't know what that means. Let's dabble.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Looked it up. Like what?
0: Yeah. But then he ended up joining the Freemasons. uh, And he was a Freemason for like three years. But then it was like 180. He became like a visceral opponent of Freemason. Freemasonry, uh, Republicanism. Which Republicanism is like our type of government, like the representative democracy. So that's what I'm talking about. Not like the Republican Party. Right. <laughs> but Republicanism. The, pro- the Republic. Yeah. yeah. The fact that there is a d- democracy here. Right. <laughs> like, it's kind of you know, the form of democracy that we have. Right. Uh, he was very anti-that.
1: Mm. Um,
0: and of course, he was anti-Semitic. He was against Judaism. Okay. <laughs> so, because uh, again, always leads back to Nazis. Always leads back to Nazis. In the mid-1930s, Schuller published um, books, articles. He had radio chats and public lectures about his economic theories, too. Um, His main idea was what was called proportional salaries. So instead of paying a worker uh, an hourly or a daily wage, he wanted to make their salary proportional to their production.
1: Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) So meanwhile, the French government was in the midst of like a really huge shift politically. Um, the government shifted uh, to a socialist majority in their parliament. Um, and so there was like a number of sweeping social reforms that were passed in France in 1936. Um, the five day work week, pretty used to that here now, you know. but five day work week, um, they had a graduated wage hike. So people were getting paid more um, and two weeks of paid vacation for all workers, 1936. <laughs> Can we get that now? That would be nice. (laughs) Right. All of those things sound really nice. (laughs) You hear they're uh, experimenting with four-day work weeks in England?
1: I love that idea.
0: They've seen a lot of good results, so we'll see.
1: People need days off. (laughs) Yeah. We're not meant to work the whole freaking week, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, because they've showed that it's, like, you are more productive when you're working, when you have more time off. Yeah. So, which makes sense, because if you're not exhausted, it'd be great. Schuller was obviously unhappy with almost all of these reforms. The only thing that he was happy about was the vacations. And that's because now that France, um, now like everyone in France, no matter their economic level was headed to the beach.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, And L'Oreal had recently released a new product, sunscreen. There was not sunscreen before this, but because of these vacations, everyone's going to the beach. They were selling a crap ton of sunscreen and business was a booming. But yeah because Schuller was very much against the leftist policies, he was against democracy, uh, he believed that it only brought incompetent people into power. That sounds like <laughs> today
1: in a weird way.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but he also didn't like that the uh, Front Populaire government, which was the pop- the party, um, the main leader of that party was a Jewish man, so of course it's just anti-Semitism again. Mm-hmm. During this time, there was a lot of far-right groups that formed, like, as response to the leftist government. And so in the 1930s, um, one that was formed was that was arguably the most radical, they were, I mean, a, basically a domestic terrorist group, it was a group called La Cougue, I think. I don't know how to say French, but they don't really deserve to have their name said correctly. But it translates to The Hood, and so I'm just going to call them The Hood. But yeah, they were uh, an anti-communist, anti-Republican, again, Republican meaning, dem, you know, the, the form of government, uh, anti-Semitic domestic terrorist group whose aim was to overthrow the French government and replace it with a dictatorship modeled on Germany, Italy, and Spain. <laughs> so they wanted they, they wanted a fascist government, basically. And Schuller was recruited by the leader of the hood, whose name was Eugene Delonco. Now, you may be wondering what this part of the story has to do with hair dye. Okay. Right? Like, you're like, okay. He, he invented hair dye, but, like, what does this have to do with anything? Uh, Shuler not only provided financial support, but made space available to the hood in L'Oreal's office.
1: Okay. <laughs> so right. the hair
0: dye company, L'Oreal, was allowing a French domestic terrorist group to operate out of their office.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: <laughs> yeah. The Hood is credited for, like, a number of assassinations. They bombed the French Employers Association. Oh, my God. <laughs> and even attempted a coup d'etat in November of 1937. Now, it didn't work exactly, but, like, yeah. So, and Schuler apparently had no knowledge of any of that. Like, he, he did not, was not directly involved with any of these violent attacks. Um, but he was absolutely giving the money. Uh, Schuler and his buddies are soon got kind of their wish because uh, of, of a German-like dictatorship when Germany invaded France in 1940. World War II, um, Germany invades and occupies France with the collapse of the French forces was um, considered a national humiliation in France and only um, reinforced Schuller's idea that the demo- democratic government was a failure. So they're like, yay. Right. They're like, woohoo! And with the occupation, Schuller kind of goes full Nazi. Uh, in 1941, he wrote a book called *La Révolution de l'Économie*, where he wrote, "I know full well that we don't have the chance that the Nazis did coming to power in 1933. We didn't have the gift that the Germans had. We don't have the faith of National Socialism. We don't have the dynamism of Hitler pushing the world." God. That is quote for quote his words. I mean, translated to English, but yeah. Damn. In another part of the book, he wrote, We must rip from men's hearts the childish concepts of liberty, equality, and even fraternity, which can only lead to disaster. And at that point, I'm like, who hurt you?
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and like, why do you want everyone to like, you're the only one who's going to be happy in the world? Like, what?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I just think it's childish concepts of liberty. <laughs> like,
1: normal. Like, yeah, what?
0: Yeah, like, I don't we know. You should
1: not be free.
0: Um, but yeah, under the Nazi occupa- occupation, the Hood, uh, led by Deloncle, um, operated openly with the blessings of the Nazis and the Vichy government. So the Vichy government is like the French government under the Nazis, basically, like, so, um yeah, in June of 1941, the group had con- uh, a convention where Schuler made statements. None of these peace this is th- and this is his quote again. None of these peaceful revolutions can happen without first of all a preliminary revolution of both purification, revival, purification and revival, and that one can only be bloody. It will consist simply of quickly shooting 50 or 100 impur- important personages. Th- at that point, I'm like, you really didn't know about the assassinations? Right. You didn't know that this group was doing assassinations with a quote like that? Yeah. So I just, I don't know, because we'll get into later, like, some of his defenses. And then Schuler during this time, was also involved with Helmut, Helmut Knochen. Uh, the commander of the police and security of the SS intelligence service. So Knochen was directly responsible for the deportation of French Jewish people to death camps. And he was buddies with Schuller. He was also directly responsible for several thousand French resistant members being executed and civilian hostages. Like, this man's got uh, thousands of bodies. And Knochen listed shuler among his voluntary collaborators so like and his name was found on a list of 45 agents of uh Kenochin. shuler was promised a position in the vichy government specifically the minister of national economy like that's what he wanted but Knochen was going to give him a different position in 19 he drew up like a list of who he was going to give what and he did not get that position <laughs> he got minister of national and imperial production whatever that means but I just also thought that was interesting because it's like he's like they're promising him all these nice positions, right. and he was not going to get it. Right. But yeah, bunch of crazy. There is a French historian named Annie uh, Le Creu Ritz, um, and she says that largely due to his relationship with the Germans, Sherman or Schuler grew his fortune significantly during World War II. So L'Oreal's sales went like, through the wor- roof during World War II. Um, it had quadru- quadrupled its sales. Schuller's personal in- like personal income report went from uh, 200,000 francs a year uh, in 1940 to 1943. He had 2 million francs. So his personal fortune grew 10 times during World War II. And, like, none of that would be possible if he was not cooperating with the German government. Right. And the Nazis. By 1944, though the French were liberated by the Allied armies coming in to lead the French resistance. And then at that point, like the French resistance started carrying out summary executions of anyone considered suspect collaborators. Uh, Schuler did not get caught up in that, but like, this is just where we are in history. But he was charged um, in the court of justice of the Department of the Seine for economic and political collaboration, which seems pretty clear cut. So on November 6, 1946, the committee um, imposed professional sanctions on him. So they basically like, shut down his access to his money, you know, that kind of stuff. But yeah. But when a detailed accounting of wartime sales to Germany by L'Oreal came out, like they looked through all their books, right, and saw where all the money was going, they said that there was only a modest levels of income from Germany. Like, so most of his sales were supposedly coming from inside inside of France. Which part of me is like, what French people were really concerned with dyeing their hair right. while they were being occupied, right? But yeah, so he he was ended up being found not guilty due to minimum percentage of German business and the fact that the merchandise delivered was of no direct military interest, right? So hair or dye is not militarily relevant is basically was their argument and. There was no evidence that they were selling to Germans was was what why he was found innocent but that doesn't explain the soaring of sales right right so it doesn't make sense and plus how did L'Oreal get the necessary raw materials the energy the transportation to you know ship their products out places without collaborating with the Nazis yeah because the Nazis at this time were taking away people's businesses Especially if you were Jewish, your business was gone. If you were not with it, your business was gone. It was not your business anymore. They were just taking things left and right um, if you were not complicit with what they were doing. And so he, you know, Schuler had this complicated corporate structure that I think shielded him from this that involved another company called Valentine uh, and Drukfarben. So those two companies were paint companies. Paint is a military product. So paint, um, you know, ships, planes, tanks, none of them go out without having paint on it. So paint is considered a military product. And Valentin and uh, Farben were kind of with L'Oreal, but kind of not with L'Oreal. There was like a weird, complicated corporate structure. And so basically people are thinking that that's how he was getting things and sales that were not on the books, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, he was, like, working through these other companies. Sneaky. Yeah, it's really sneaky um, to, like, ship things and sell things. And, like, he was putting, you know, where his product was going was being put in France or other places instead of Germany so that he can, like, not be a collaborator. Right. Offshore
1: banking. It's
0: yes. your time. <laughs> it's basically, yeah, it's basically offshore banking. And then Schuler was also able to call on various witnesses to support his claims that he had sheltered Jewish employees and also secretly funded the French resistance. So he was playing both sides.
1: Hell yeah, he was.
0: <laughs> Among Schuler's defenders was uh, uh, Francois Mitterrand, uh, who I think later became the French president. So like, that's a big name guy, and then the other another um, person was Andre Betancourt, who was Schuler's soon to be son in law and vice president of L'Oreal. So, but they were both active members of the French Resistance, and they were saying you know, Schuler was funding us, Schuler was helping us. So he was not a collaborator. but he was definitely playing both sides because there's no way he made all this money without collaborating. Yeah, like there's no way. Right. So he was at least playing both sides. And then after after the war was over, he he never really turns his back on the the hood um, organization. So uh, he actually hired Delanco's son into the Spanish branch of L'Oreal. So Delanco was like the leader of the hood. So his son got hired into L'Oreal, um, and that's just one of many ex hood members that found jobs at L'Oreal after oh, World uh... War II. Surprise! <laughs> so. Yeah, I think that this person, you know, he was just, uh, he was just playing both sides.
1: (laughs) Greedy all the way around. Greedy
0: all the way around. He was like, I don't care who wins.
1: Yeah, he's (laughs) like, I'm going to make money regardless.
0: Yeah. Which, very, very interesting.
1: Very manipulative.
0: Yeah. Andre, uh, Andre uh, Betancourt, of course, you know, he becomes his son-in-law, so he marries his daughter. And as far as I can tell, uh, Andre Betancourt was, a, a a norm, you know, a good dude, part of the French Resistance. And so him and his daughter, you know, his, he has one daughter, and she's the one who ends up uh, inheriting the business. Yeah, Shuler does get, you know, cleared of all charges. He keeps his business. Um, had he been convicted, he would have been removed from L'Oreal's leadership. And, you know, best case for him, he would have been jailed. Uh, worst case, he could have faced firing squad. But a combination of money, connections, and luck spared him of that. Yeah, so Schuler dies in 1957. His daughter, Lillian Bettencourt, who married the Andre Bettencourt, inherited his shares of L'Oreal. Lillian Bettencourt only had one daughter, too. Her name was Francois Bettencourt Myers. She married a Jewish man, uh, Jean-Pierre Myers, uh, whose rabbi grandfather was murdered in Auschwitz. Hmm. And they make a point to say that, and I think that's odd. Yeah. But his they have two sons that were raised Jewish. And so right now, Francois owns the shares of L'Oreal officially. So she's she holds all the shares, I think, jointly with her sons, but I'm not really sure how that works. But she is the wealthiest woman in the world right now. Whoa. Her net worth as of January 2022 was $94.9 billion. Oh, my God. As far as, like, richest persons in the world, uh, she is 14th richest person in the world. Wow. But yeah. so L'Oreal was built during fascist ruled France, and they're now one of the biggest beauty companies in the world, all on hair dye. hair dye and sunscreen. Wow. So I know there was that was probably more history than about the science of hair dye, but it's important. L'Oreal was the first company to make hair dye, so not the first co- ma- first company to make safe hair dye. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, what do you think?
1: interesting like that's crazy like l'oreal wow yeah. i'm like i wonder if i wonder if they own Redken. i'm gonna google that really fast because that's who i use <laughs> i think they do they own like all of them
0: yeah because now they're called the l'oreal group and yeah they own, i think like, they own
1: like a, matrix and
0: a bunch of companies
1: yeah l'oreal yeah they own
0: but, the, I mean, the people who own them now, you know, uh, I feel like it's kind of a Coco Chanel situation. So, like, you know, Coco Chanel was also very involved with the Nazis, tried to turn her business partner in. Um, but now uh, Coco, like, the Chanel brand is owned by the person they tried to turn in. And I feel like that's kind of the case now. It's the descendants of people that were the victims. Yeah, that's true. Kind of, you know, or, like, it's kind of half and half now, you know? So, I don't know. The ethics of that gets complicated, because, like... It's a weird story. And then you're like, he was playing both sides. And, like, there's not a lot of evidence all the way around because everyone was doing everything secret. Yeah. It's really weird. I don't know where his loyalties lied at all.
1: (laughs) It doesn't sound like Was it just money? I think it was just money. He probably was just like, well, I mean, I'm going to make some money one way or another. Yeah. You know? So I'm going to just do both.
0: Yeah. And whoever wins, I'll just...
1: Whatever. Yeah. Rot the other guys out. Whatever. You know?
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think he just probably
1: cared about himself. You know?
0: Yeah very possible but l'oreal man i, I did not expect the story to go in that direction at all and i was like why does it always lead back to nazis i just want to talk about air dye, <laughs>
1: right it's so weird yeah i thought i haven't thought about world war ii in a really long time
0: yeah but yeah like the whole chemistry a lot of the chemistry industry was made in germany during that time so it's like
1: a lot of it leads a lot of back. it a
0: lot of it leads right right on back right on back <laughs> Uh, and if it's not it, if it's not Germany during World War Two, it's the United States during World War Two. Like it's just all like all World War Two. It all goes right back to there. Weird. Technically, World War One, if you really want to go back far enough, because World War One is when they invented chemical weapons. So mm. woo, yay!
1: The world wars.
0: Yay, chemistry!
1: Yeah.
0: Making world wars happen. That's not good. But that that should not be the, the, the slogan. St-
1: chemistry making world wars happen. <laughs> time <laughs> yeah I don't know good job thank you that was great
0: <laughs> I'm glad yeah thank you for having me you want to plug your pluggables again and yeah will...
1: follow me on instagram val Burba comedy v u r b a is my last name so oh. that's it
0: thank you for joining me yes uh, it was
1: great thank you so much for having me I enjoyed it
0: yeah and follow cowboy chemistry at uh, cowboy chemistry podcast on instagram and just cowboy chemistry on
1: Twitter, follow it. Do it. Follow it. Yeah. Like it. Goodbye. Goodbye. Apoptosis going
0: mad, my liver's gonna fail. Maybe it's from the radium I use to paint my nails. Well say you hate me, carbon date me, throw me in the sea. I'll be back with time because I'm made A stardust in chemistry A stardust in chemistry